Hey, Emma. Yeah? How do you feel about French people? I mean, I speak French, so pretty all right. All right. Well, weird take. <laughs> I uh, once uh, had a very nice Frenchman ask me to go to a cafe if he could paint my picture for free in Paris. I said no, because that felt questionable, given that his first question was, are you here by yourself? I mean, he was definitely hitting on you, but how do you not take the free painting from the Frenchman at a cafe? In? Oh, I like so wanted to and like kind of regret it, but I also didn't want to get murdered in Paris and we had established that I was there by myself and only spoke okay French. Yeah, I mean, there was a high... I think you go for it, though. I think you risk the murder. I know. I, I regret it a little. That should be your life's greatest regret. I'm Caleb. I'm Emma. <laughs> You're listening to The Thinnest Thread. This is a podcast about movies. More specifically, a podcast about double features. Most specifically, a podcast about double features where they don't really make sense that they're paired together. One might say they're held together by The Thinnest Thread. It's so clever. I'm, so, I'm amazed <laughs> every time. I'm amazed with myself. All right. Today we are talking about part two of our Bugs in the Stew double feature. This is the movie Ratatouille. Ratatouille! It's a wonderful movie. I it's love this movie. Fantastic movie. Uh, this is my favorite Pixar movie by a mile. By a mile? There's yeah. so many good Pixar movies. Well, okay. Yes, there are. Like, Toy Story is like, when I say by a mile, like, Toy Story is a pretty close second. But if you were like, one of them has to go into a shredder, like the original print, even though they're animated films and there is no original <laughs> print, the hard drive, like, every copy has to be deleted. I'm deleting Toy Story to keep Ratatouille. Interesting. I, I actually, I do definitely like this better than Toy Story. I really like Up. Up Not is even, your favorite Pixar? Well, I, I don't know what my favorite Pixar movie what is. I can't like think of every answer. Pixar movie. I do love this movie though. It's so good. Did it make you cry? No, <gasps> but I've seen this movie like a bajillion times. So I like, even though it makes my heart swell it makes me feel a lot of wonderful things. I think I'm just kind of, it's not quite having that impact on me anymore. Although I don't know if I ever cried at it. I cry at every Pixar movie and most movies in general. So I definitely was sitting on my couch crying about this. Interesting. I've like never cried at a movie until like within like the last year or so I've started crying at movies like a lot. Yeah. I, I, was, I was gonna say I've watched you, you cry at yeah, movies before. I don't know what like I cried during the Oscars earlier this year so i don't know what snapped i don't know what changed in me but something has changed oh um, no crying at the oscars at the oh gosh yeah when uh, kihei kwan was yeah. giving his speech oh, i so, mean everybody should cry so heartbreaking well except i was the only one who did <laughs> we had a big oscar party that i hosted and i was the only one who had to get up and get tissues I'm just very, robots. I'm very practiced at not crying at awards because anytime anyone wins something, it makes me almost cry. So I'm really good at like not crying when I feel like I should cry when someone wins something because crying at the end of Great British Bake Off is inappropriate. <laughs> okay, we're just going to move on. No, I don't <laughs> want to be mean. Jesus Christ. Okay, Rat Patootie. Ratatouille. Okay, this is, like I said, one of my favorite Pixar films um, directed by Brad Bird, although... Not originally. We'll get into that in a minute when we start talking context. Ooh, is there drama? There's a little bit of drama. Not like a ton of drama, but a little bit of drama uh, about the kind of, you know what? We can just jump into it right now. Let me make sure I pull up like the right name on this. Uh, while I'm doing that, I'm going to vamp. So I have seen this movie a million times. That's maybe not an exaggeration. 
Um, although I did discover, as we discussed off mic, that I somehow don't own this film. Like in physical media, I have like no memorabilia or anything. Although, but again, if you asked me, like one of the most important films in your childhood and like has kind of helped direct my artistic taste and like why I enjoy movies so much, I would point to Ratatouille as one of them. Hmm. Um, so a great disservice. That being said, I had never eaten the namesake, the dish Ratatouille. Prior to today. I made ratatouille. You made ratatouille. <laughs> we planned this this podcast as double feature. And I mentioned that I had never eaten it. And you went out of your way. You went and got groceries to make ratatouille in like the 30 minutes you had between work and having to be here for this recording. It takes longer than 30 minutes to make ratatouille. But yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> Regardless, you uh, went out of your way to do something very nice. And I want to say thank you, even though ratatouille is not good. <laughs> I, it, okay, it surprised me. It was better than I was expecting because I really had no idea what was in ratatouille other than sliced vegetables for watching this movie. It turns out there's like five ingredients to it. One of them is eggplant, but there was no eggplant at the closest grocery store because that grocery store is the bane of my existence. And so it's almost ratatouille, but it, it tasted more like things that weren't vegetables than I was expecting it to. Yeah, it had a nice herby taste to it. The problem is I don't like squash or zucchini. And of the four ingredients that are in ratatouille, squash and zucchini are two of them. And then you didn't have the eggplant. <laughs> so the only thing I liked in there was tomato. And it just didn't, didn't work. But it was stomachable. I would have eaten it <laughs> if I had to. I will say, Emma, a testament to Chef Gusto. Anyone can cook. Emma is a good cook. So you say to my ratatouille that you yeah. did not eat. I mean, it was something that I like should hate and I like don't love. I think my, when I watched it this time around, my like letterboxed quip because I don't write actual reviews because that would be earnest and gross. <laughs> heaven forbid. Um, heaven forbid. Was like, I can't believe I was born to love this movie and yet born to hate every ingredient in its namesake. <laughs> I also love this movie. It's in the weird realm of movies that I was like, oh yeah, I remember watching it. And then I was like watching back through the movie and it was like getting hit by a truck of like, oh man, this was like a formative part of my childhood experience that I like mostly forgot about. Wow. Insane. This was like, yeah, again, big part of my childhood. One that I did not forget about. I watched this fairly regularly. In fact, I had already watched Ratatouille like two weeks prior <laughs> to us. You, cause you pitched this double feature. I did. And I was like, wow, I just watched Ratatouille. I guess I'll watch it again. What a terrible thing I have to do. So I have now watched Ratatouille twice in the last month. Uh, and I do not regret it. I might watch it a third time in the next week or so. Technically, credit where credit is due. My wife, Asha, pitched this double feature. Um, because her brain is way better at thinking hey, of things that hey, don't go together. Hey, don't veer credit outside <laughs> of this podcast, Okay. <laughs> Don't we don't talk about anyone else who is not <laughs> us two or someone within the production of the film. Hmm. That's not true. <laughs> okay. We'll see. We've already broken that rule like eight times. Yeah, that's true. Anyway. Um, so a little bit of drama in production of this film. We'll give the film some context before mm -hmm. we start going into it. Uh, the film was so the characters and kind of the general concept of rat controlling man who and he wants to be a cook in uh Paris was uh, Jan Pinkova's creation. He was he worked at Pixar. I don't remember exactly what his like thing. I think he was just an animator. 
Um, and then basically they like put him on to work. They put on um, Bob Peterson and as a co-director. And it was just kind of like months of trying to break the story and make it work. And it just didn't. They couldn't quite crack it. Um, and Pixar higher-ups just weren't happy with it. So they kind of pushed Pinkova out and brought on Brad Bird, who is now kind of credited as the writer and the director of the film. And he did make some significant changes. So in uh, Pinkova's original version, Gusto was not dead, which I think drastically changes the film. Yeah. There was less Skinner and Colette in the original script. And also the original like animation and design, the rats were a lot more anthropomorphic. Hmm. They had kind of been human. That's what anthropomorphic means. I don't need to explain that. <laughs> um, and so Brad Bird came in and decided they should be rats. Like they are rats. They should act like rats. They should walk like rats. It's and- a good choice. I feel like they're on the happy side of the uncanny valley of like just like a friendly looking actual rat, which I feel like is what you want because I feel a little weird about like the furry movies that are really furries. Yeah. It's like a whole genre now. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Like my cartoons. (laughs) I like it when they're recognizably like an animal and they're such cute little rats. They are. They're adorable. Um, Especially Remy. I love Remy. Cute little rat. Okay, so the film opens mm-hmm. with the uh, Remy is run. It's oh God, I hate this opening because he's we get a shot of this house and we're pushing into the house and then Remy comes blasting out of a window as someone is shooting at him with a book and we get a full like freeze frame Richard scratch of <laughs> Yup, that's me. Better wondering how I got here. <laughs> Has not aged well. I'll admit, I kind of hate it. But I kind of love it at the same time. It, you know, it is what it is. It reminds you that you're watching a fun animated children's movie. Yeah. That is not, that's not quite where it opens though. Cause it. That's, that's true. We do get the. There's a little intro where they're like, the best food is in France and the best food in France is in Paris and the best food in Paris is at Gusteau's, which I feel like is a really big statement from a movie made in America. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we kind of like the world perspective, at least the Western world has always been like Paris is like the home of like the culinary arts. Yeah, it is. And it isn't right. Because like New York City is also a home of culinary arts. Why is it not set in New York? New York pizza rats. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Well, yes, but like all of the like culinary traditions and the things that are like taught in New York and like have come down are a, a lot of it are from like French cuisine and hmm. French cooking styles. Not, I suppose that's like the, when you think of fine dining, you think of Paris. Yeah. Like, and that's, I think that is kind of why it gets the reputation less so that like the food is amazing and it is, but it's also like the art of cooking the like culinary arts has always kind of had this origin in the French kitchen. So after the freeze frame, there's sort of the establishment of Remy as the rat who's different and who has dreams. Right. He can smell super well. He's got super, super sense skills. Um, and then he is used that to smell poison. Mm-hmm. And then eventually uh, he just, that gets the better of him. He, he wants to do something with his life. He wants to go beyond being a rat. He wants to be a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we sneak into the kitchen to try and get some food. And ultimately, we can kind of skip past. There's not like a ton of important stuff in the house. It results in the lady 
Actually, this is a really funny sequence <laughs> where she's shooting the roof, like trying to shoot at Remy and his yeah. brother and blast her entire roof down. And this mass of rats just comes falling down with the roof. Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Like vomit inducing idea that there is just thousands yeah. of rats uh, living mm-hmm. in your ceiling. I Credit where credit is due, though. You feel more worried about the rats than you feel grossed out. By, like, the situation, which I feel like shows that they've done a very good job with the rats. Yeah, and it's a very it's it's a very comical delivery because it's then all the rats are, like, do the, like, little turn and look thing yeah. of, like, shock. And everybody's kind of staring at each other. And then everybody scatters and she starts firing the gun again. Uh, Rumi goes back for the Chef Gusto book. Mm-hmm. We get to the rats are running away and they, like, hop on little man-made mm-hmm. or rat-made boats. Uh and go off into the sewers. Remy gets separated. And that's like really where our story begins. Yeah. Uh, and Remy gets separated. And he finds himself starving in the sewers. And we get the introduction of the Gusto Ghost. Mm-hmm. Which is one of my favorite parts of the movie. And I think... I really love that the Gusto Ghost... It, it doesn't really call it attention to itself super early on. But it the entire movie plays itself in the fact that it is a figment of Remy's imagination. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't do the like, oh, it's actually the ghost of Gusto, or maybe yeah. it is Remy's imagination, but we're just going to play it like it isn't. Mm-hmm. It is throughout the entire movie. He is only giving responses that Remy would know the answer to. And the best example of that is when way, way later in the movie, when Remy finds out that uh, Linguini. Linguini is Gusto's son, he turns to Gusto and he's just like, why is Luguini in your files? And Gusto's response is, this was my office. Which is like, it's not an answer to the question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a question that like Remy doesn't have the answer to. So Remy's Gusto just says something. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it didn't quite play as a kid. I was just like, I don't know. Yeah, sure. It's his office. That would be a thing to say. And then as I watched it as an adult, I'm like, that is one of the funniest jokes that has ever been executed in animation just it's so subtle it's so quick because he then immediately like the next line out of that character's mouth is like i'm figment of your imagination i didn't know i had a son why or you didn't know i had a son why would i know Mm -hmm. but just kind of the leading into it that breadcrumb beautiful writing (laughs) i love it i i also i enjoy the figment i think it's nice to have especially in movies versus books, you don't get a lot of the internal monologue from people. And I think it's nice to have a way to sort of externalize that. And so you're not just like, especially because rats don't like animated rats only have so many expressions they can make when they have little rat faces. Yeah. I don't know. Remy's pretty expressive. He's pretty expressive, but I feel like conveying like inner turmoil about whether or not you should steal food from someone is like much more difficult than just having a conversation with a figment of your imagination, which is more fun and Easier to understand. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say, in, like, the sequence where they're running away, the sound design is so good. Sound design is so good in, like, all of this movie, but there's a bit when they all, like, jump in the boats and he gets tumbled in the water and it, like, sounds like the camera's getting dunked in and out of the water, which I think is just incredible for something that's animation where they had to make the entire thing. Yeah. uh, Shocker. Pixar really knows how to make a movie. Yeah. Uh, but yes, the just, should not have just like undercut you and like, dum dum, it's Pixar. Of course they made good sound design. Yes, the sound design throughout the entire film is brilliant. Um, it is like they're truly building this mm-hmm. world 
throughout the entire film, both through the animation and the sound design and the score and mm-hmm. the performances. The, like it's such a just perfectly cohesive picture. I mean, we talked with Parasite a lot about like Bong Joon Ho is a director that just has a perfect eye for detail and like mm-hmm. everything feels exactly placed the way he wanted to. And even if it's not, like it's kind of the director's job to make it feel like it yeah. is. Uh, and this is something that Brad Bird does really well with Ratatouille and all the animation team, the sound design, everybody who worked on it is everything feels like perfectly placed, mm-hmm. like a fine plating. It is exactly the way it should be at every point throughout the film. But I enjoy the fact that there are like nicely framed shots in this as well. Because in animation, because you have to pick everything, I feel like sometimes it gets a lot more flat and like stage set-ish. And this is very like... There's multiple frames where like wrote notes and I was like, oh, I really like how this is framed. I really like how that is framed. This is a good way to shoot this. And just like, I suppose you don't have the limitations of like actually having to put a camera in a place, right? but it's nice. I like it. Do you have any specific shots that you're like? I loved a little bit later in the movie when Remy and Linguini, wild name for a character to make us try to believe someone named their son Linguini. (laughs) <laughs> what also isn't i could be entirely wrong because it's just it's only said that one time but isn't he yeah his name is alfredo linguini this is just the name of a pasta dish yeah they <laughs> just named the character i love it it's brilliant <laughs> what a way to get out of naming a character just go to your nearest italian restaurant look at the menu and go i don't fucking know alfredo linguini <laughs> it's a pasta okay but that was italian not french wrong country I mean, Alfredo Linguini is not French. No, it's not. But <laughs> whatever. Anyways, Linguini, the shot that I liked. Um, there's a bit when he and Remy sort of get, uh, after he discovers Remy in the restaurant and then takes him out in a jar because Skinner, who's sort of the like evil sous chef, um, tells him he has to kill this rat. And so he like takes him out in a jar and they have like a long, not really a conversation because Remy can't, like Remy can make faces at him, but he can't like talk in a way. Yeah. that Linguini understands. This seems a great uh, counterpoint to you saying there's only so much you can do with expressions because like this entire scene is Remy making expressions to it's convey fair. his emotions. And I think it's done really well. Like a whole movie of that would be Right. Like I, I got what you were saying, <laughs> like that it would be, there are certain limitations to it, but because they, again, turn down the anthropomorphization mm-hmm. of the rats. Um, but this scene is like, it has just that brilliant quality of like, uh, I think it's is it Spielberg who has that quote about like every like every movie should be able to play like a silent movie. I do not know should, my I quotes. Not, I don't remember exactly who it is, but like that sentiment of like a mm-hmm. really really good movie, you can turn all the sound and dialogue off, and you can still understand the story. Mm-hmm. And this is this scene is a perfect example of that. Continue on about your framing. When there's a bit when Remy is like, so he sort of like convinces Linguini to let him go and that he'll help him cook because Linguini is a terrible cook and Remy is a great cook and they're making the partnership for the ages. Yeah. Um, and he's like, gets out and he's like, ha ha ha. And he runs away and then he looks back and it's this like perfectly framed with like the archway of the bridge going over. And there's this like glowing light down on Linguini who's standing there and like looking hopeful. There's like the little Remy in the front and Linguini in the distance. Just yeah. Loved it. Yeah. A perfect frame of this, like, so much distance between mm-hmm. them, and then you just frame it in a way that brings them right next to each other, and you're kind yeah. of visually creating this partnership that is going to power us through the rest of the film. 
But also, like, he's literally running back towards the light. Yeah. It's (laughs) nice. I also, I really like in that scene that Linguini, when they're, like, trying, he's trying to pitch this partnership. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know how to cook, and I know how to be a human. (laughs) And uh, I hate to bring it to Linguini, barely. Barely. You barely know how to be a human. There, okay, there's a bit, skipping around a little bit, there's a bit later on when Linguini reveals that Remy's been the one who's cooking the whole time, and he goes on this rant about how he's useless and could never cook, and I was, like, sitting there, and it's, he's, like, a fraud, and, like, he's only getting there on the back of somebody else, and I was like, man, there's some really underpaid screenwriter who never gets credited for anything writing this, and just, like, letting all their emotions out. Yeah, well, we can, I think we can kind of save uh, a discussion on that, but I think that this, and I am not alone in this, this is a common sentiment, but I think this film is a very, very personal story for Brad Bird hmm. as an artist and like having that frustration of not being able to do the thing you want to do. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm just going to table that. We'll come back to it because I think that's a very like wrap up the film kind of discussion. Um, so we they make this partnership and they go, so they immediately go back into the restaurant, right? Or does he, they go, no, they go we, home. We need to, we need to, do the soup scene first. I love the soup scene. We right. Okay. Bef- before he gets caught in the jar. I, I have a, such a terrible memory. Like I'm not kidding when I say I've seen this movie <laughs> a million times. I've watched it twice in the last three weeks and I cannot remember the order of the scenes for the life of me. And I'm going to struggle with character names. I just, if there was like a pill I could take to just make my memory better, I would probably OD on them. I think we just need to like write all of the scenes on a little board and be like Caleb's reference board. <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, that's so much work. All right. So we get Remy finds out that he's been in Paris the whole time. Uh, he is led to Gusteau's restaurant by his own imagination as mm-hmm. Gusteau, which again, another great bit of Gusteau not being real. It was like, Remy is like, oh, you led me to the restaurant. And he's, Gusteau's response is, uh, yeah, 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 totally, totally did that. I'm a genius. Here you go. Go to my restaurant. You didn't just randomly meander into it through right. happenstance. Um, so he goes into Gusteau's and he is watching through a window and they're having the discussion, right? Kind of one of the central arguments and themes throughout the movie of anyone can cook mm-hmm. because he's uh gusto is asking remy about all the different people in the kitchen who's the chef who's the sous chef the cooks etc linguini is the janitor and remy just completely dismisses him as the janitor and then uh-oh linguini starts putting stuff into the soup because he has knocked it over and spilled it and he's trying to recreate it um and remy is goes to the, goes to the rescue He's horrified by what is happening. Absolutely terrified. It's like the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind and rat kind combined. So he goes down into the kitchen and starts helping to fix the soup. And he does like a couple little dashes of spices, Mm -hmm. right? And he's like about to leave and just can't help himself. Mm -hmm. I think this is right that key turning point. And we'll kind of come back to that discussion at the end of like, what does this film mean for Brad Bird and what does it mean for like mm-hmm. an artist perspective of not being able to just let it go. Yeah. Right. If there's any room for improvement, if it can be the slightest bit better, it should be. And it's also a really great moment of Remy, like he's finally getting the opportunity he has been waiting for his whole life. He's able to cook in a real kitchen. Is he gonna let himself get away with just a couple spices? Or 
really try and do it up and make a difference. Mm-hmm. And he makes the choice with a little bit of nudging from Gusto, um, and turns around and just starts going ham on this soup. Mm-hmm. Linguini comes back, catches him. Then uh, the chef. No, it's it's bef- so there's a bit where Linguini sort of gets in trouble with Skinner and Skinner goes, well, we'll just serve this soup. And so a customer's ordered the soup and the soup. No, that's later. No, Skinner doesn't want the soup to go. Like he's yelling at him about the soup and then someone else comes and serves a portion of the soup mm-hmm. and it's going out and Linguini is like stuttering and stuttering. And then he's finally like the soup, it's going out. Stop that soup. Mm-hmm. Can't stop it. Goes out. Customer loves it. And that's kind of our first, uh, not quite the inciting incident. The inciting mm-hmm. incident for Linguini as a character. Yeah. Like, you now have to recreate this soup. Uh, and mm-hmm. that is where then Remy is trying to leave. Skinner freaks out because he sees the rat. They catch the rat and mm-hmm. he is forced to go kill it. Which, this is such a, a tasty little bit of like dramatic irony of like, mm-hmm. if Skinner just lets Remy, because Remy's trying to leave, Remy yeah. doesn't want to stay in the kitchen. If Skinner had just not noticed Remy or just seen the rat <laughs> climbing out the window and let it climb out the window, none of the movie happens. Skinner never has any of the problems that he has. He never becomes the antagonist of this story. Mm-hmm. Just his decision to try and catch Remy is what sets this all in motion. They catch Remy and then we have our wonderful little bridge scene. Mm-hmm. When I just I I love the soup montage because it's so much it's such a beautiful visual representation of what it feels like when you're like lost in the art that you do. Yeah. Cause like I was an am a dancer and it's like when you're really in it and you're just like doing your thing and that it's just such a moment of like, yeah, that is what doing art feels like. It's what it feels like when you're like, well, like this is not the ideal circumstance and this is not what I want to be do. You know, I should just let it go, but I can't. And here's like, now I'm lost in it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were having a discussion before, like, as we were getting set up today that, like, there were a couple of little audio issues with the first <laughs> couple episodes. And I spent the last week, like, trying to reshape and retool our studio space and put mics in different positions. And I was, like, doing different, like, post-processing effects and whatnot because I went to school for film and audio production and I'm, like, a very, very amateur filmmaker. But this is like my thing. And so the fact that it was not what it could be at its peak is like I couldn't sleep without it. And if these recordings turn out terribly, I might choke myself with these mics. <laughs> It'll be fine. We'll just bring in more Buzz Lightyear. Uh, is that a duvet? No, it's a, a comforter. Comforters? Yeah, no, to try, and, <laughs> to try and fix the reverb issues of the first couple episodes, which hopefully is like nominal. I bought a bunch of comforters from Goodwill and hung them up on our walls. And one of them is Toy Story 4. I love how you say our walls like I live here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, this is my wall. It's the walls of our studio, quote unquote. It's my apartment. Anyway. (laughs) Okay. So we get the partnership and then they go home. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he. He makes him a little little bed. It's so sweet. He makes him a little bed. It's the cutest thing. He wakes up in the morning and Remy. Like, and he, like, believes that Remy's going to have left him, and he starts yelling at himself, and then he sees that Remy's making, like, a little omelet. Well, like, before you... T- I love the, like, immediate, like, Linguini's waking up, and he's, like, Remy is gone. And it's mm-hmm. played very much like this, like, one-night stand mm-hmm. with this <laughs> this person that he was, like, really into, and he, like, wanted to spend the next day with, and they mm-hmm. just got up and left. And he's like, God, I knew it! I knew I shouldn't have <laughs> let my heart open up to this rat! <laughs> they took took my food. Whatever am I going to do? And then, yes, then we get to 
No, he didn't steal the food. He is help making you breakfast like a like a wonderful partner would in the morning <laughs> after. The little omelets are so cute. What I'm saying is Linguini and Remy are fucking. <laughs> uh <laughs> Okay. Um this is actually so th- again when I s- this movie is like s- so important to me and it's been like a really constant movie throughout like my childhood and even into my adult life. The first thing I ever learned to cook on my own was an omelet. And it is in part because of this scene right here where it was like, this is the thing that like helps convince um, on top of the soup. But this is really like the bonding moment between Remy and Linguini. And it's all because he just makes this really good omelet. And I was like, that's simple enough. I can do that. I got you, Gusto. Anyone can cook. Little eight-year-old Caleb is going to learn how to make an omelet. Aww. And I did. And it was fucking terrible. <laughs> the Omelets worst. really hard. I don't know. I feel like I've nailed it now. I cannot make an omelet. I can make a lot of very complicated things. I baked a lot as a little kid mm-hmm. um, because I discovered that if you want to eat cake, you can make your own cake and your parents will be excited enough about eating a cake that they will also let you eat the cake that you made. Um, wow. What a cheat code. You figured it out. I know. I really did. God so damn. I like, got super into baking as a small child. But I can't do omelets. I can make like cream puffs and like macarons and like all kinds of crazy baking things, and I can't make an omelet. <laughs> okay, well, um, you can make ratatouille. No, the bit from this movie that, that I was like, oh my gosh, that is totally stuck in there is when uh, Colette later on picks up the bread and goes, do you know how you can tell if bread is good when you can't open it? And she's like, it's the sound. And she like crinkles it. And like every time I pick up a loaf of bread, I like crinkle it. <laughs> oh, I. I never started doing that, but I do. I do have a vivid memory of that scene because, like you said, the sound design is mm-hmm. so immaculate that that like yeah. crunch of the bread as she squeezes it—it's mm-hmm. so subtle, but it's so crisp and textured that I just like it makes my stomach grumble mm-hmm. every single time. Yeah, it's wonderful. Like the food in this movie is no like uh, Studio Ghibli yeah. food. But it is still very pretty and very enticing. And I may have paused the movie halfway through to go cook a meal. <laughs> when I, to me, a lot of the depictions of food are less the depiction of eating food mm-hmm. as making food. Like it's so much more about the joy of making food and it makes right. you want to cook, I feel like, more than it makes me want to eat. Interesting. I think what... um. Because, yes, very much it is, like, it makes cooking so exciting Mm -hmm. and so interesting. But part of why it makes cooking so exciting is because it takes the, like, very early on, Remy is talking about the combination of flavors. Like, Mm -hmm. you can take one thing and another thing, combine them, and create something wholly new. And there's a million different variations on these creations that are yet to be discovered. Mm -hmm. What can you do with that? Yeah. And so it... I will say, like, eating the food is very, very exciting for me because it's... While the cooking is exciting, this movie always makes me want to cook. It always makes me want to cook from a perspective of what can I make that is new? Yeah. What three ingredients do I have just laying around that I can throw together in some nonsensical way that is probably going to turn out to be disgusting? <laughs> it usually is. But maybe I will just find something that works perfectly and it'll I will have that 
the experience, like when Remy is eating, he does the cheese and the strawberry together, mm-hmm. and you have that wonderful little swirly, like, yeah. art. he goes into kind of this dreamscape. That image is stuck with me for the rest of my life because is- anytime I taste good food, mm-hmm. that is what plays in my head. It is like permanently ingrained every time I'm in the kitchen, like getting a little funky with it. I'm like, I think about, <laughs> oh, you're never like getting funky with it. Like, ooh, what's in my pantry? I just don't think the word funky should ever come out of your mouth. Just <laughs> Am I not cool enough for funky? It's, listen, it's a lot of factors, but you do whatever makes you happy. It's making me happy. <laughs> anyway, you get funky with it. it. Shouldn't come out of my mouth either. <laughs> been really into disco lately i don't know what to tell you <laughs> wrong with that. disco fucking rules dude okay so <laughs> we talk about movies we talk about movies sometimes uh we get back to the kitchen so he's, he's made the egg uh poor remy doesn't get to eat his omelet uh, he's swept away uh he, we go to the kitchen and it is time to recreate the soup and this is where mm-hmm. we get them trying to actually figure out the partnership mm-hmm. They pretty quickly figure out that it's not going to work for him to just run around in uh, Linguini's clothes. And so they they discover the secret of they can put him in the hat and he can see out of the hat and he can puppeteer Linguini by pulling on his hair. I will stop and say I love because every discovery that is made in this movie is made in just a like really comedic and interesting way like mm-hmm. a like a very realistic way because he does they don't discover the puppeteer by like trying different yeah. methods remy is just on linguini's head and he's about to run into something and remy panics and just like grabs his hair and yanks <laughs> as like a hey like get your attention and it just happens to create this involuntary reaction and then they both like in the movie they say like we looked at each other and both knew exactly the same plan and then uh, they do their little rocky training montage. They have their pulling. beautiful little training montage. Uh, and it's so funny just all the <laughs> way through. Because every time it's like, okay, start out slow, start out slow, small, small pulls, and then yank it. And we'll just throw something out of the window or like smash something into Linguini's face. As someone who's thrown crepes in unusual places before, it's the experience of making a crepe and trying to flip it. How unusual are we talking? Like... I mean, I've definitely on done out of... I mean, it's not that exciting. Out a window, into the sink. There's okay. only so many places Don't in the kitchen. Don't say unusual and then say other places in the kitchen, Emma. Come I on. I was implying that it was more interesting than it was. It's how you tell interesting stories well, as a boring okay, person. Okay, but I'm going to ask questions. <laughs> you know, if you say to me, I have thrown crepes in interesting places, I'm assuming you're like cooking crepes at a campsite. You fling one. It lands on top of like a prime minister's head. <laughs> okay. Who is at this campsite? <laughs> Hey, I don't know. You like lived in different countries and shit. Other Maybe. countries, there definitely are prime ministers just meandering around random camps. I don't know how the world works. Okay, I think it's perfectly plausible that you could throw a cape on a prime minister's face. I said cape, not crepe. I really thought you were going to go bear. Bear, see, like that's unusual, but it's not unusual enough. What I'm saying is start lying to me. Okay, if you're going to say you have an interesting story, tell an interesting story, even if it's untrue. <laughs> Can't lie to strangers on the internet. Fuck, really? <laughs> Shit. Okay. Um. Yeah, he, he learns how to he learns how to be a little rat cook, and they they make the soup work again, and soon the soup is getting ordered. Because I think it sort of establishes that 
Gusteau's is tired and that they're just doing the same thing over and over again. And Skinner, who's sort of our little villain, has started marketing him out as these frozen foods. Yeah. At one point calls him like Chef Boyardee. Um, Well, no, he doesn't. Uh, mm. Ego does. Mm. That's like Ego's... It's like Ego comes in way late in the movie. Mm -hmm. But when Ego like pulls out his last review, he reads off and that's his little joke in his review is Chef... Uh, Gusto has now the same rank as one of our finest chefs, Boyardee. Mm-hmm. Fucking hilarious. When I think this is funny, it's funny to me that this movie is kind of... I'm going to compare it to Mulan, but I'm going somewhere with this. That it has like a dual villain setup. That like there is the the first villain that is established, which Mulan is the Huns, and in this movie is Skinner that has to be defeated. But after the defeat of the first villain, there's still a second villain that you have to defeat, which is Ego, the critic. Yeah, I think calling him the villain is a little um, disingenuous. He's an antagonist. He's an antagonistic force, but he's definitely not like a villainous force. I think he's definitely... You expect him to just be a straight villain, and he turns into not a straight villain. Well, you expect him to be a straight villain because they make everything about him the most villainous thing. Mm-hmm. His office is shaped like a coffin. Mm-hmm. His typewriter is like his has like an evil face on it. Like the machinery makes a face that is looks terrifying. Everything about him is like gaunt and like vampiric, and mm-hmm. he is a terrifying individual. But I think. I actually really, really like Ego as a character because I think he is kind of in the same same vein as Remy, is he is an artist. His art form is critique. Um, mm-hmm. And he just wants to be the best artist he can be, and he only wants the best materials to work with. And that material is the food that restaurants and chefs are making for him. And I think he gets painted negatively because like critics get painted negatively. Um, and as he says, like at the very end of the movie, I fucking love this quote and I'm, I'm probably not going to get it verbatim, but he says that the reality is any little piece of garbage is 10 times as meaningful as the critique deeming it as garbage. Mm-hmm. It's not the quote. I butchered it. But the sentiment there mm-hmm. is that like, he is aware at the end of the movie that like his art form is the belittling of someone else's art but he still takes it seriously and he still wants it to be the best it can possibly be. And I think that is why you get that like game recognizes game, like respect mm-hmm. at the end between him and Remy that I really, really love. But I think also, you know, as people who are critics now, I guess. No, <laughs> no. think that's what having a film podcast is on some level. Fuck. I think you do it out of love for it. You know, that nobody gets into critiquing something that they hate. Right. Um, it's the, I mean, yeah, we would not sit here putting mics in front of our face, making fools of ourselves if we could not <laughs> spend every day, like, thinking about how awesome movies are. At least I do. Because uh, yeah. I'm an obsessive weirdo. <laughs> and I think, like, it kind of, it's the same sentiment of, like, parody. Like, a good parody can only come from someone who, like, truly loves the thing they're mm-hmm. parodying it. And it's, while making fun of it, is also kind of a love letter to itself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that sentiment is very present throughout the entirety of Ego's arc in kind of the final act of the film. Okay. Also, my favorite question, which I may ask an answer for myself as a scholar of vampire movies. 
is Ego a vampire in this movie? Oh my god. No, he's not a vampire. <laughs> he's draining the life from restaurants to make himself live. I mean, I think that's kind of like where the artistic direction maybe comes from. But no, he's not a vampire. And I'm sick of indulging your like, <laughs> is every character a vampire in every single movie we talk about? Whether it's on mic or not, it just always comes up. Not every movie is a vampire movie, Emma. I'm saying he's heavily, he wears all black. He yes. lives in a coffin. Yes. yes. <laughs> he is the Dracula of the French culinary world. Ratatouille is a vampire movie. You Are heard you it happy? here first. Are you happy? <laughs> yes, I'm very happy. All right. Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, so we get the soup scene that everybody loves the soup. Mm-hmm. And that kind of establishes Remy as this powerful force. Although it actually is Linguini from everybody's perspective. But this duo is now has a name to live up to and they're going mm-hmm. to start having all these pressures. Um, this is also as they're kind of congratulating uh, Linguini on his success is when Skinner sees Remy through the hat and that kind mm-hmm. of kicks off that um, antagonistic force like really heavily from Skinner as he's trying to prove that Remy is under Linguini. Mm-hmm. And there's the, so the, one of the main plot points of the movie is that Linguini is secretly Gusto's son. Right. Um, which Skinner finds out but doesn't tell anybody about because he's about to inherit the restaurant and Gusto's name and image and all of that assorted money. Um, and then, so he really doesn't want anyone to find out. And so he's really trying to get Linguini to leave and just be out of the situation and sort of in the process of doing that ends up revealing that Linguini is for sure Gusto's son. And right. ends up losing the restaurant to him. Well, and the the kind of the... I keep saying things are beautiful and the beauty mm-hmm. of this thing, but I have no other words because I don't read. Uh, the beauty of the thing that, like, Skinner is, like, obsessed. He becomes obsessive about this idea that, like, Remy is controlling Linguini and there's a rat and they're in this together and he didn't kill the thing. And it's this thing where he is the villain because he's trying to prove the truth mm-hmm. like it is actually what's <laughs> happening but it's such an insane concept that this movie is following that he comes off as absolutely insane and he can't possibly tell anybody this mm-hmm. and it's like he's right he's a hundred percent right there should not be a rat in this kitchen controlling a man by pulling his hair yeah that's insane but also let the rat cook yeah the rat just has a dream let the rat let the rat live his dream let remy be remy Oh, the other thing I want to talk about is Colette in this movie. Badass. The best. Um, She has a couple things that she says that I just want to talk about for a little minute because I enjoy both of them so much. The first bit is when she is sort of informed by Skinner that she has to take Linguini under her wing, which I think she sort of resents. Um, And she gives him a lecture about how, you know, how she came to be the only woman in this kitchen and because it's because she's the toughest And so she gives him a lot of advice. And then he later on, they have a sort of like, she's tough, but a good relationship. And then later on, there's a bit where, you know, he says, like, thanks for giving me all of this advice. And she says, thanks for taking it. And I think that's just, it's such a good moment of like, yeah, sometimes you are in a field with a lot of men and you just really want somebody to listen to what you say about something. And like, I enjoyed it. It felt like a very honest portrayal of what it's like to be a woman in a field with a lot of men and i think i also appreciated the way that like he moves up in the world and remy move up in the world and they're sort of moving past her and how that can be a really difficult relationship to manage of 
you know, just because you are also in a minority group in a situation doesn't actually mean that you're going to just help everybody. It gets complicated. And I think it's like a shockingly nuanced portrayal of that for a children's movie. Yeah. I mean, and it, it all comes to the head when uh, Remy is piloting the asleep linguini. Mm-hmm. And she feels like he's like blowing her off. And then she kind of has this explosive. Yeah. It's like, it's also, again, one of those where it's like, if you had just <laughs> left him asleep on the floor. Yeah, she would just wake him up. There would be no issue. Like, you mm-hmm. didn't have, what was this thing that you were doing? I don't understand why Remy feels the need to pilot him. I've never quite understood that, but it's just one of those problems I sweep under the rug because mm-hmm. I love everything else about the movie so much. But when she explodes on him and is just kind of like, you, I see, like, I see what you did. You think you can mm-hmm. just use me, learn a few tricks, and suddenly, like, take over and push me off to the side because prior to that point like yes linguini is like rising through the ranks and he's kind of becoming this star chef but he has never like taken himself above any of the other cooks in the kitchen he Mm -hmm. never separates himself from colette they are like Mm -hmm. a team as much as him and remy are a team um and the only person he ever feels he's above is he he starts to kind of feel like he's above remy and he doesn't Mm -hmm. need remy and that eventually causes like the big breakup and separation mm-hmm. uh, wow remy and Linguini really are <laughs> fucking they like it's a whole uh, still don't like wonderful it. relationship art listen i know for a fact there's fan art out there there's fan art of everything out there yeah but i bet there's like more than you realize of like uh, i don't want to think about it why are you making me think about that i don't know because it's funny anyway um but yes like you were saying like there's no there's no reason for Linguini to ever like distance himself from Colette and put Colette down. And then he does. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of accidental, right? Yeah. It's like it's, he actually doesn't like, he doesn't do anything particularly wrong. He's just kind of the bumbling idiot. He has been throughout the entire movie. It just doesn't quite work out in his favor. Mm-hmm. Although it does because then they start going out. Yeah. In like the worst scene where like, she's mad at him and then Remy like, pilots Linguini into a kiss. Yeah. Which, first of all, no one has ever been less mad at someone because they're surprised kissing them. That's a great way to get kicked. Um, Don't like it in movies. Don't like that it's here. But also weird implication of, like, a rat piloting your first kiss with someone. Like, I don't know, man. Uh, He piloted his first chef job. I don't think it's that Like, third wheeling on that relationship real hard. I mean, but... (laughs) Whatever. I... Not gonna pick that Remy piloting the kiss. I will say, I to the note of like the surprise first kiss is a. I there's chemistry already there, like that that's already been bubbling over, and to the point where she fully says, like, I thought you were different. I mm-hmm. liked you. I wanted to like spend this time with you and work with mm-hmm. you. Like the implications are all there, and also she raises up the pepper spray, like as he kisses her and there is like a moment of fully like she's thinking she's making the decision mm-hmm. and then she leans into it and like gives the consent and is enjoying the moment and like yes i understand like the initial hesitation but i don't think it's like it crosses a line like if I think she, it's Colette a, like, wanted to she would have pushed it's off. a less like it's not the worst depiction of a bad trope but i think that doesn't not make it a weird and toxic trope that it's like, well, so you th- clearly thought about the fact that this doesn't make sense because she has pepper spray, but you right. decided to include it anyways, and you could have just not done that. Fair it's my enough. only complaint. I have one complaint. 
Fair enough. I'm not going to sit here and tell the woman <laughs> of the podcast that she's not allowed to feel weird about a woman being mildly assaulted. Or I will. Cut that. <laughs> Please. So we have the kiss. Uh, Linguini hops on the bike of Colette's motorcycle. Bike of her motor, the back of her scooter. Jesus Christ! <laughs> the bike Christ. of her motorcycle. The her bike motorcycle of her, has yeah. a little bike. That well, he's got a little sidecar, but it's shaped like a bike, so he feels like he's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome, actually. That, yeah, I was gonna say I would totally ride in that. That would be amazing. Uh, please, I, I'm gonna put all of my money into making that happen. Okay, <laughs> all two dollars eighty-seven cents. All right, rude. <laughs> no need to air out my financial business. Okay. <laughs> Linguini gets on the bike. Fuck! This is like the least focus we have ever been. Linguini gets on the back of Colette's scooter. And they ride off and Remy flies off with his hat. Mm-hmm. And there is a very dramatic and symbolic breakup of separation of Remy and Linguini. He's being replaced by Colette. And he gets pissed. And he goes... Um, back to the restaurant where his brother is waiting with more rats. So a while back, he discovers that his brother is still in town and goes and realizes that the whole family has moved into yeah, we Paris. we past all of that. Um, it, and they have a little, like, rat town underground in the Paris yeah, sewers as opposed to in the suburban attic. Um, another connection to Parasite here, that there's an underclass living below the people above. Oh, I was going to say that this is a prequel to Flushed Away, but that also works. (laughs) We're connecting. We're making our connections. Um, Our our thin threads, if you will. Ayo. Nice one. Okay. Um, Yeah, so he, there was a big altercation with his dad where he's like, you're coming back. We found you. And he's like, no, I'm not. I like Mm -hmm. the humans. His dad's like, let me show you something, bud. They don't like us. And then he shows this really gruesome display of the rats, which is like, as an adult, I'm like, eh, yeah, okay. As a kid, while I don't have a distinct memory of it being terrifying, mm-hmm. I have to imagine that it gave me a slight fright. It's it's a really scary, like, they really get away with it because it's little rat bodies and there's no rules against that, but it's, like, awful little dead rats hanging there. Yeah, and they do, like, a full, like, dramatic thunder strike or lightning strike and yeah. big booming thunder. It's It's very spooky. When it's very, like, your dad trying to scare you straight. Yeah, it is very scared straight. Because this was like in the era where Disney made a lot of movies that you could interpret as being about gay people. Because I think people just hadn't learned to read that subtext yet. Yeah, including me. What? <laughs> including. What? Caleb. Oh, yeah. Because it's like he he knows that he's different from a young age. And, he, you know, his brother knows, but his dad doesn't know. And his brother's like, oh, you can't tell dad about this. He would freak out. And then, like, his dad finds out, and it's a whole big drama, and his dad tries to scare him into being, like, all the other rats, but he just knows that he has to do something different, because he's just different. I mean, okay. I hear (laughs) it. I get it. That feels like just kind of an othering in general. Yeah. It's, like, open to just whatever your other is, Mm -hmm. you can put that on there. So, I get that, but I don't think that was necessarily, like, the intent. I think that you can, you know... You can always project whatever you want onto things, yeah. but it was, it's something that was notable to me. We'll have to talk about this in a different day that like, I love the original Mulan has a very special place in my heart. Great film. Um, and I watched the new Mulan and I don't think any movie in my life has ever made me as absolutely infuriated as that did. Okay. Um, 
just because I feel like now people have like learned how to read what subtext is on things. And so people now can no, no longer like. they have not. As someone who just does nothing <laughs> but look at like film Twitter and like movie Reddit and shit. Look at discussions on the internet. People do not know how to read subtext. It's just it funny exist. to me how much like children's movies now I feel like come out with much more conservative values at the heart of the film than like this era of Disney and Pixar did. Interesting. I'll have to pay more attention because I, I don't feel like I'm getting that. But I think it is more that the things that were subtextual are no longer subtextual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like because those things have become quote unquote mm-hmm. okay by like modern standards and you're just having to move to like the next thing. That but needs I think to be also that like people have places to work and talk about things that are not random other places in subtext. And so I think there's less of that to some degree, just because if you want to make a movie about gay people, you can just make a movie about gay people. Right. Like it's just fine now. I mean, it was, should have, well, we're not, I'm not going to try and take some grant. You know what? It's okay <laughs> to be, make movies about gay people. Wow. Ally. <laughs> Hashtag allies. God. <laughs> All right. Um, so Remy has this big moment where he is like, you know what? Fuck Linguini. How dare that bitch leave me for that other hoe. I'm going to redo that. <laughs> you know what? No, that's funny. That's funny. Uh, and then he, in his fit of rage, lets uh, his brother and like the entire colony into the restaurant, into the fridge, and they're munching out, vegging out on mm-hmm. all the food that is there. And Linguini comes back. And there's like a little bit, uh, I think we're skipping over some stuff mm-hmm. in between those scenes, but it's not the most important. Mm-hmm. Uh, Linguini comes back to apologize to Remy, and that's he finds all of the rats um, in there. And then it's this big moment of like, how dare you? I thought we were teammates, which is like such a hypocritical moment mm-hmm. for Linguini. It's such an ally moment. Elaborate. That it's it's such a like... I thought that we were friends while you could, were doing things for me, but the second you're not doing things for me and you have actual needs and realities of your situation that I am not a part right. of and don't understand, I'm going to make no effort to understand them and just yell at you for not being like me. Right. It's like, like I'm, it is very much like the relationship dynamic of like Linguini like stopped paying attention to Remy and was like kind of dismissive of him. Mm-hmm. And so Remy went somewhere else for the validation, the attention that he needed. And then, Linguini got pissed off because he went and did the exact same thing that Linguini did, but Linguini was ready to apologize. So mm-hmm. Remy must be on the same page. When it's, it's so much up. also the story of like being the exceptional minority of like, well, as long as you're there and you're doing your work, everything is fine and willing to be uncredited for it. And then the second that anything goes wrong, people throw it straight in your face that you are this minority and that right. you are a rat. Yeah. Even if you're a cute little Pixar rat. Cute little Pixar rat. So, as you say, Linguini like throws him out. He's pissed off, um, kicks him out, and then surprise, surprise, the person who was the reason for all of your success no longer being in your life, you drastically fail. And I believe this is when we get introduced to Ego. This is when Ego is coming in and it's their big night. Yeah. And Linguini is freaking out about what he's going to do because he does not know how to cook still. Somehow, despite having gone through the actions of cooking every day for a long time, has no idea what he's doing. Um, and so it's the big night. And Skinner it. at this point has been evicted from the restaurant um, because it was discovered that Linguini was the 
actual son of Gusto. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the health inspector shows up, and they the rats tie him up. And so well, we're skipping, skipping, oh, a we're skipping, bit. skipping yeah. a little bit because uh, Linguini has this big breakdown now that uh, Ego is here for the big mm-hmm. night, and he doesn't know what to make. And Linguini like runs off and he freaks mm-hmm. out, and that's when Remy shows back up, and Remy, you know, comes in. And just fully stand. He's like, I am here. I am who I am. I'm here to cook. Mm-hmm. If you're going to kill me, kill me. And there's this great scene of like everybody threatening him with knives. And they're about to kill mm-hmm. him. And Linguini steps in. And he finally gets the credit he deserves. And he tells the story about Remy. And he tries to give this big inspirational speech of like, are you with me? And of course, everybody leaves. Because what an insane thing to <laughs> propose. So Remy brings in the entire colony of rats and starts instructing them on how to cook. And the little his, rats go through the little dishwasher. Oh, which looks so like it's cute. so much fun. It's so cute. They're all puffy. That's adorable. Uh, and it, the whole scene of him like directing everything mm-hmm. like this drill sergeant and going it's through great. the motions. It's wonderful. Uh, Linguini discovers his one and only talent of being a roller skating waiter. Yeah. I gotta say that kind of comes out of, does Linguini skate at any point in the movie no. before this? No, I, I feel like there had to have been a scene, a deleted scene somewhere that I just haven't seen because... Where he shows competency in either right. skating or waitering? Yeah, well, like, waitering I kind of get, but the, ska- like, the skating thing is just such a, like, it's that's a niche skill. It mm-hmm. feels very much like kind of a Chekhov's gun thing that should yeah. have been set up. Like, hmm. show him skating way earlier in the movie, and then suddenly, oh yeah, here's this talent that can help me move fast. Um, I'm not too mad about it not being like explained away because it's not like some I, I big I enjoy plot the point. unexpectedness. Right. And it's and it's not like some big crazy like plot device that happens. And it gives us this great sequence of Linguini like flying around the dining room, mm-hmm. refilling like the man is a pro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we get to the point now there's all these rats in the kitchen and the health inspector shows up and the rats tie him up. Uh, throw him in the pantry. Yeah, which is great. Again, like kind of going back to the early scene where the rats like fall out of the ceiling. Mm-hmm. We get a shot of the health inspector leaves and gets in his car and it won't start. And these like uh, massive, massive rats. rats just comes over his car and like fully they shoot. Like they put the camera, quote unquote, inside the car and shoot the rats coming over. Mm-hmm. And it is a terrifying image to think about for even half a second. And they tie him up, throw him in the deep freeze. And they go back to cooking. But it's they this great little sequence. They threw him in the pantry. Sequence. They threw him in the freezer. They might okay. die. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> My bad. I, mean, I don't so work in a kitchen. Ego comes in and says, you know, Linguini says, what would you like to eat? And Ego says, your heart on a plate. Oh. Well, that's a dream sequence, though. Oh, that is the dream sequence. He yeah. says he wants inspiration. Yeah, he has that. He uh, wants perception. Perspective. Perspective. Yeah. Perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then, which is like, such this like, mean critic thing to do because he's telling the waiter like i want perspective and the whole thing is just a setup for him to be like no one in this town has the right perspective so you bring mm-hmm. me whatever food you want and i'll bring the perspective since you can't give it to me mm-hmm. which is like fuck off yeah you dickhead yeah you like i i'm picturing ego sitting in his little coffin office like writing this script out <laughs> like plant practicing it in the mirror like oh it's gonna be so good when i hit him with the you don't have perspective. Fucking dork. He definitely feels like someone who like practices all of his lines ahead of time. Oh yeah. Ego, ego was a theater kid for sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and then he failed in all of his like middle school performances. And that's why he became a critic. 
Is this how you end up here? <laughs> yeah, those who can't do critique, right? Um, and so Remy then decides that he's going to make Ratatouille. Yeah, this is where we get the big title, which... Again, like one of those things where I don't need an explanation, mm-hmm. but it feels like there should be some kind of reason Remy picks Ratatouille because the only other mention we have of the dish prior to this is when uh, Linguini is drunk in Skinner's office and mm-hmm. he's doing his little bit of like, he's just, like scatting and then mm-hmm. he says Ratatouille. <laughs> he's like, oh, why do they call it that? Which one of my favorite bits, I still like anytime I... I think of rats. Every time I think of this movie, I think of rat and patootie. <laughs> rat patootie. And, but that's the only mention we have of the dish like prior mm-hmm. to this. Um, and then Remy just picks it out. And it feels, it's very much like one of those like kind of suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. We're just going to let this go because it makes sense for the movie. But mm-hmm. there's no, I, I do wish that maybe there was just like half a scene where Remy has some reason to pick the ratatouille. I assume the implication well, is they, just because it's rat. I think that they, they sort of say it afterwards and I think it, they, they make it make sense because it's about, you know, they say like ratatouille is a peasant dish. And so I think it's, a, it's a dish with humble origins that has come to this fancy restaurant, much like Remy is a rat with humble origins. Right. Has come to this fancy restaurant. Again, from like our perspective and like from a, like, storytelling and a metaphor perspective whatever but like, it's it about makes sense, they but... say it's about perspective this is remy's perspective he goes what is the dish that re- represents my perspective yeah, i can't a believe humble I'm, dish. I'm talking shit on again this movie i love so much but i just <laughs> again i i will say like and they needed something with a rat pun <laughs> like i i think that is really it because while i don't need an explanation like with this skating it doesn't detract from the story that there's no reason for him to pick ratatouille beyond just rat puns mm-hmm. I think it would just give me a little bit more to kind of chew on if there was something tying the dish to any kind of meaning. Because I yes, feel like it's so like they tie it to so much meaning. Right, it's just retro- after he actively they do it retroactively. It's after he's cooked it, after ego has his big moment and everything. But I feel like it's to build the tension because you're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Why is he cooking this peasant dish? I like anyone in America knows what a French peasant dish. Right, like is. Colette says that when he picks it up, he's mm-hmm. ratatouille. This is a peasant dish, and Remy's like, "Yeah, I know. We're gonna cook it anyway." Mm-hmm. And again, I have no real gripes with it. I just think it doesn't. It's it's one of those things like kind of how we talked about like with Parent Trap and Face Off is like if you just pull at the thread a tiny bit, mm-hmm. it starts to unravel. Not nearly as much as those movies, but. And it just kind of feel like it's just. I just wish there was just something else, just one I think line. You're being or a something. hater about the explanation being after the punchline. Yeah, because that's not good <laughs> joke structure. I think it's perfect, and I would not change anything about it. I okay. like it. I like. I love the little cottage scene and how the lighting is wonderful when Ego's imagining himself in this little oh, cottage yeah. and reconnecting yeah. with his inner child. Well. Well, um, so we can, I think we just talk a little bit because we talked about how much the food, it mm-hmm. looks great and there's um, the process of cooking and like creating and adding your own flair to this. Mm-hmm. I think this is, again, part of what makes the Ratatouille decision so interesting and mm-hmm. so meaningful in the end, even though it doesn't really explain, uh, is that Remy, because Ratatouille, like traditional Ratatouille does not look like the Ratatouille that Remy makes and mm-hmm. the one that you made. Again, thank you. Delicious, even though it wasn't. 
It's just like a, it's a stew. It's just like diced up vegetables Mm -hmm. in a pot. And Colette goes to make it like that. And then Remy is like, no, 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 no. We're going to do this my way. And that's where we get the like sliced, very thinly Mm -hmm. sliced vegetables laid out in this really pretty dish. And we get this invention, this creative inspiration that has kind of been waiting to happen Mm -hmm. the entire movie. Um, And I think that's worth talking about for just a second because it is the, like I said, the culmination of what food can be. And this Mm -hmm. whole movie is talking about the creation of food and how you combine flavors and how you make things new and interesting. And we take this peasant dish that gets refined and it looks incredibly fancy and really Mm -hmm. delicately put together. Especially once it's plated and they like do the little little sauce sauce drizzle. drizzle plating thing. And Ego eats it and it doesn't train. I think, again, one of the just amazing things about this uh, sequence is when you get to that beautiful cottage scene mm-hmm. with the soft lighting and the just simple framing. Ego's ratatouille is the traditional diced up stew. Mm-hmm. And I think it cuts to like very quickly in this one two punch of editing, creates that meaning in the fancy is at the end of the day, like it looks fancy and it looks pretty and it's very creative, but it's all about what the food means to mm-hmm. you as a person. But I think food is so much a part, like food has so many meanings for everyone and so many memories. Yeah. And it's hard to eat things without remembering like the first time you ate it, the most memorable time that you ate it. Yeah. And it, I love that it makes that point about how food is important and about how like what makes food good isn't that it's the fanciest food because they talk a lot about the menu being foie gras and like these other really fancy foods and it's like it's not the fancy food it's the food that's made with heart which I think is a very American thing to say. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's just a classic like culinary tradition. I think there's a lot of culinary tradition of just making fancy food that's like a little fun but still fancy. Well, I think it's the. And this is kind of gets, and we can, it's a nice little transition. This movie is about art, mm-hmm. like at its core. Um, and I think when you talk about like making food for fancy or making food for nourishment or to mm-hmm. tap into kind of those like childhood memories, it's the same way I think like kind of any art form works is like the critics want new and fancy mm-hmm. and interesting. And that's what like other people want because they want to, you know, live in that kind of space of mm-hmm. high art and have yeah. some kind of refined taste. But at the end of the day, like that isn't what you really want, right? Mm-hmm. Like you you want those experiences and they're nice and you go to the Louvre and you look at the amazing paintings. But at the end of the day, the thing that means the most to you is that little drawing from your kid on the fridge. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Gordon Ramsay's like signature dish, right? That he's like well known, not his signature dish, but one of the things he's like most well known for is a fucking grilled cheese, mm-hmm. right? And it's taking these simple dishes that have a lot of meaning and just taking them up a notch and then letting you bring your own experiences to them, like you said, and letting that really elevate it to the next point. So I think while yes, there are chefs who are creating fancy food for the sake of creating fancy food, I think that is done for the sake in the same way that like inventive brush strokes or like new techniques are used in a painting to create something new in art. But at the end of the day, what any chef is going to make when they get home is something incredibly simple and tasty. But I think it 
so much of that, it's like different ethoses of art, right? Is like the idea of, are you making art for art's sake to push boundaries or are you making it to make people feel? And I think this is, this movie is talking a lot about how art makes you feel and how making art can make people feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this movie is, I think, through and through a movie about art. And I mentioned earlier that like, I kind of wanted to bring it all the way back around to Brad Bird. So before we get there, I guess we'll like finish up the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Ego loves the Ratatouille, right? Mm-hmm. It has this big traditional old feeling for him. Uh, he wants to speak to the chef. You can speak to the chef when everybody else is gone. And I'm, he acquiesces and waits and then meets Remy. Has the, they do the big story and he writes a glowing review. And this is where we get that quote about even the worst piece of art is more valuable than the criticism declaring it. So, and he also has this um, really great quote. Just the whole like mm-hmm. ego review is so amazing. This really great bit about um, when a critic takes the most risk is in the defense of the new and trying mm-hmm. to usher in something truly creative and innovative mm-hmm. into the world. And uh, it turns out it's his downfall. At the end Mm -hmm. of the day, because you can't have rats in kitchens and tying up a health inspector (laughs) and a former chef is not going to work out for you. Mm -hmm. So they open their own restaurant and we get... Yes, Gusto's gets shut down. They open La Ratatouille. Yeah. The new restaurant where there's like an upper floor where the rats live and they have a little rat restaurant and there's a... A downstairs floor where they have the human restaurant and Linguini has found his passion as a roller skating waiter. And and it's a wonderful little button right on the top. And then we get the kind of the reveal that Remy's been narrating the story the whole mm-hmm. time. He's telling it to diners, fellow rat patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes and prepares the dish for Ego. Mm-hmm. And that's our movie. They all live happily ever after. Yay. Except for Skinner. Yeah, except for Skinner, who definitely lives not happily ever after. Who knows? It's never really explored. Maybe he just opens another restaurant, too. Um, uh, You know what? I bet Skinner writes, like, a stupid tell-all book. (laughs) And, like, sells millions of copies. Yeah, and sells, like, millions of copies. And it's just, like, the worst awful trite Mm -hmm. garbage. Um, But, and I think that's kind of the, the culmination of the film is an artist from an unlikely place being given an opportunity and taking that opportunity and just running with it and trying Mm -hmm. to do the best possible thing he can do. And I think that why, like at the beginning I said, this is a very personal Brad Bird story because while I am not going to pretend to be some like Pixar Mm -hmm. scholar or like a personal friend of Brad Bird, one of the things that's like kind of well known about him is he's a perfectionist, right? He is like, Mm -hmm. he's known for, like being in the animation offices and like, it looks great. Let's just see if we can tweak this and doing Mm -hmm. that 15 times in a row until they get the exact shot he wants. Mm -hmm. And I think that this movie is exactly that for two hours. Mm -hmm. It is Brad Bird as Remy trying his best. He's like in an industry that is like really, really hard to break into Mm-hmm. And it's really hard. There's all these other people with opinions and criticisms and producers that are trying to like control and navigate the production of a film. And he's just trying to make the art he wants to make in the way he wants to make it mm-hmm. and fighting against all of these obstacles to create the best possible thing that he can. And once you do it, 
everything works out and it is truly a magical experience. I think the way, like, I will always say the way that Ego feels when he gets that piece of ratatouille, the way Remy feels when he eats the cheese and the strawberry and you have that Mm -hmm. little swirl of color. That is the way I feel every time I watch ratatouille. It is this like magical thing that reminds me why I like movies in the first place, why I have ever bothered to pick up a camera or open a screenwriting software or try and edit some garbage little video that I made on my phone. It is in the pursuit of just trying to have your voice heard in whatever sense that may be and doing it to the best of your abilities to create something that makes other people feel the way your art makes you feel. And if you don't get that from watching Ratatouille, I don't Mm -hmm. feel like you're watching the same movie I'm watching. That was very well said. Thanks. It's a hard act to follow. I really like this movie. As much as I was like throwing criticism at it, I like genuinely, this is when I think um, you ask like a lot of directors and like artists outside of the world of film as well, what movies like make, made you want to be a filmmaker? What painters or dancers made you want to pursue the art that you Mm -hmm. pursued? Ratatouille is, and I never realized it at the time. This is kind of like, as I've been doing kind of looking back and thinking about what made, because as a kid, I wasn't super into movies. This is kind of a newer thing for me as an adult. Ratatouille is one of the movies where I looked at it and went, I I truly took like the gusto thing of like anyone can cook Mm -hmm. to the extreme of anyone can be an artist. And that doesn't necessarily mean everyone should be Mm -hmm. or everyone can produce like amazing quality art like this film. But it does mean that it can come from anywhere. And so you, when you're given that opportunity, when you're given those resources, take them and do what you can. And like, as a kid, that didn't quite hit as hard. I think I just really liked rats as a kid. <laughs> I, was really, I wanted to pet rats so bad. Um, They're pretty good pets, actually. Maybe one day. Uh, but this movie, like, it made me want to cook because I saw cooking as like this creative expression and like this amazing thing. You can make new things, bring them into those world. And it, made me want to try and pursue small creative endeavors when I was just like some dumb kid who didn't really have any idea what he wanted to do from a creative perspective. And now as an adult, it is a movie that every time I watch it, I, like I said, I immediately go pick up a camera. I go hit the keyboard and start writing or trying to produce something because it is just such a beautiful encapsulation of what it means to produce art and try and find your own meaning in this world through your art. And I love it so much. It is so meaningful to me. It's the joy of creation. It's the joy of making something new and knowing that like anyone can create something and find joy in that. And it's such a it's such a nice and hopeful message. And I think it to to bring us back to Parasite for a little bit, I think these are both stories about people who are in one world and trying to enter another world. And I think it's a really different end point where they end, where like Ratatouille is like, you can do it. You can enter this world and everything will magically work out for you. And I think Parasite is like, you can never enter this world or it's going to be super, super hard and terrible the whole time. And it's really, they're the same movie. <laughs> they are. And I think, well, let me throw a, even though I just gave this incredibly like earnest and impassioned speech about why this movie is so important and so meaningful to me. And uh, that was far too earnest for me. I'm going to add in like some fart sound effects later (laughs) just to undercut it. This to be a little cynical, he doesn't make it though. Like he makes it from his perspective and he's got like a couple allies, but he still has to hide 
in the back. He still cannot be the artist in the public eye that he maybe wants to be. He doesn't get the credit that he thinks he deserves. But it's sort of ambiguous because like his little rat shape is on the sign and like there's clearly like a whole setup for him in the kitchen. And more importantly, like he was able to move up enough to make a space for his people to be. Well, and I think this kind of comes to uh, the idea of like, what do you want out of your art and what do you want from your career or whatever? And I, while I say like, he still has to be in the shadows. He's still like the world would never accept a restaurant run by a rat. It's mm-hmm. just, it's never going to happen. Um, in the same vein that like in parasite, like as you're, even if you can climb through the social stratosphere and, you know, reach a new class level, you're always going to be from the lower class level. Like, even though you're up there, you're always going to be slightly othered. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, and, and I think there's kind of similar. It's just, like you said, like a slightly more optimistic take on that final ending. And I think that comes from the fact that Remy is, as a creative and as an artist, he just wanted to be able to cook. Like, all mm-hmm. he wanted in life was to be able to cook freely and experience food in the way he wanted to. And he has that. And I think there's a point in the movie where he wants the recognition and he wants the praise and he kind of just part of his arc is getting over that and just being able to pursue the art with freedom. What I think also aiming for the middle, right? Like aiming for not being the top restaurant in Paris that's super fancy and has five stars, but just going, I'm in a restaurant and I'm making food and I love it. And I think, you know, Parasite, they're aiming for the top. Like they are not aiming to end up in the middle because there are ways of ending up more in the middle that are not conning rich people out of a lot of money. Right. Yeah. So, and so I think there's a difference there. And I think also just ending up in a very middle-class situation that like you, you don't really want, you're not really aiming for being the very, very top. It's not that kind of like hyper competitive dream of like being the elite. It's like, you just want to be in the middle. You want to be in your happy little middle-class class lifetime lifestyle with your like white picket fence and your two and a half kids yeah well remy and linguini are gonna have their two and a half kids i think we can <laughs> say that for certain that's a good that's a good note to end good on, note to end on. <laughs> uh so you know that has been the bugs in the stew double feature parasite and ratatouille do we think you should watch these movies together like actually though um you know what i will actually say i i know i ranted and raved like the other day we were talking about this is a bad (laughs) double feature uh after talking about them both for a little bit i think they're a pretty solid double feature i think you can enjoy them together we gotta get we gotta make the threads thinner i will we watch them in opposite order Mm -hmm. we do need to make the threads thinner we gotta (laughs) i'm talking minuscule one atom thick but we talked about it before you watched Parasite for, or no, you watched Ratatouille first mm-hmm. and then Parasite. I watched Parasite first and Ratatouille second. Do you still think that your viewing order is the ideal viewing order? I don't know. I feel like it's it, like happy crying at the end of Ratatouille would have been a good note to end on, I feel like. Yeah. But I also think that like Parasite does leave you thinking for a while. So I feel like, be, like I don't know, how was the experience of like thinking while watching comedic rats? Well, so, I mean, admittedly, I didn't like, in Parasite and immediately turn mm. on Ratatouille. Like I took like maybe half an hour between the movies to kind of get up, go to the restroom, yeah. do a little thinking. But I think for me, the primary reason I watched Parasite first was because I find Parasite, while it is an amazing film and it's so enjoyable to watch and to be in that experience, 
because I am such a pessimistic, terrible person, <laughs> and I think it ends on such a sour note, it's just mm-hmm. really emotionally draining. And afterwards, I was just kind of like a little bit down, and then I got to watch my favorite little rat cook his food, and I was like back up to being happy. So if you don't find Parasite draining or you don't find the idea of Parasite like emotionally and kind of mentally draining, it probably is a better one to end on because you are going to have that time to – it's it's a much more intellectual film. Um, and so I think you'll have that time to think about it. But if, you, if you're going to find it draining and you need that little pick-me-up at the end, you should do Ratatouille second. Anyways, maybe you should watch these two movies together. You should watch them. You should watch them at least separately. They're both fantastic films. Um, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Like Emma said, we are aiming for right down the middle. So rate and review, but don't rate anything above two and a half stars. <laughs> and if you like it and you want to keep listening week after week, hit that little subscribe button or whatever it is on your podcast platform of choice. Ooh, what's next, Caleb? Oh, next we are doing Barbenheimer. Barbie yeah. and Oppenheimer, the famed double feature that like everybody is talking about right now is coming out right when we're going to record our next episode. So we're going to watch that and do some fresh, hot, right out of the oven takes on Barbenheimer. So tune in. I'm excited. In. Yeah. All right. Bye.